Is it too early for a pop test? Well, maybe it is. Why do you pray? If we could divide up into small groups and just to share and be honest with one another, the question would be, why do you pray? And I'm not talking about just the prayers that are said in church or in your Bible study class or any other setting where we pray as a church. I'm asking you why you yourself pray to God, to the creator of the universe, to whomever for whatever it is that you need. What moves you to the point where you want to say words with the Almighty? Are you so desperate that you stop your flailing efforts and pause to utter whatever it is that's driving you to think the divine might intercede on your behalf. David, the psalmist, was most creative and articulate in the desperation of the moment. He became more, well, poetical. He was moved to the depths of experience by some of the things that happened to him. We hold up the narratives of the Bible and we hold up the words of David and we begin to understand it pieces together like a a puzzle itself. Pain and fear made David very articulate. All of us reach out for help in moments of crisis. I'd like us to read our psalm today and we're going to read it in two sections. There's a part A and a part B. So here's the, the first part. Psalm 27, 1 through 6, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. And set me high on a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, there are moments when we can muster the courage to be brave to be assured, to create such a positive mental state that we can power our way through whatever it is that we're facing. But there are also positive thinking preachers out there who overpaint the picture of what we can do with the simplicity of a positive outlook on life. Meaning that is if you have enough faith, there's always the little sub thing that goes on about it, that if you just have enough faith, you'd be able to do this. If we'll allow it, we can take challenges and turn them into victories. Well, I like that. That works until it doesn't. There are times when it doesn't work. That kind of praying 
can be a mile wide and an inch deep. Positive thinking religion can be a form of spiritual schlock that collapses under its own weight in the pressure cooker of real life. It works until it doesn't work, particularly when that assurance is made conditionally, conditioned by you buy the preacher's book, don't you know, or make an offering to the the ministry, the online ministry. That's another way in which you show or demonstrate your faith. And that's not at all what David means. I go back to my original question. Why do you pray? This psalm is a favorite for many because it expresses the central impulse of biblical religion in eloquent and poignant words. Many people love this psalm of victorious faith because of its brazen confidence. And in some ways, it reminds us of Psalm 23 that has a calming effect, but also is calm because of the assurance of what God is doing. David fears no human being is demonstrated by his alternating declarations about God and self. God is light, he says. God is salvation. God is a place of refuge. Maybe that's too much. There are times when we face such trouble and so many trials that praying is actually very, very difficult for us. Here's what David has to say about that. Even when slandered by evildoers, even when attacked by a hostile army, he continues to hold firm in his faith. And so we pray and we ask God to protect us from the life-threatening circumstances of a broken world. Just beneath the veneer of this particular poetry, this is a prayer for help. You don't have to imagine too much to realize David is in a very challenging place. If you read the life of David, you realize that he wasn't always the, the uh, innocent boy sitting out on the edge of the field with the sheep and minding the flock. He faced real problems, real trouble in his life. And plain and simple, this psalm goes further and expresses the heart's honest, albeit certain, belief that we are often stretched beyond our ability to function and are nearly broken to the point that our appeal to God is also broken and we are desperate for God to intervene. I have been, in my life as pastor, I've been with people who have suffered so much that they actually dry up on the subject of prayer and maybe can be quite bitter about it, about the um, ineffectual way in which prayer is promised to us but doesn't perform. And so in this first half, these first six verses, we have courageous, bold faith. It's in the second half that it begins to, to unravel. We have an honest fear, and we have a questioning faith. Let me read that for us, Psalm 27, 7 through 14. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. 
Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, we find ourselves living in the shadow of a violent, senseless war. This past month has been horrific. We don't have troops actively engaged, but we're doing everything but fighting by supplying all kinds of high-tech missiles and arms and ammunition. We are providing aid in a way that we have seldom ever done in such a circumstance. We're spending billions of dollars to help the Ukrainian people defend their country and defend themselves from the slaughter shamelessly inflicted by Russian troops. All of this is going on right this second. We're also supplying for the 10 million Ukrainians who are displaced from their homes and the nearly 4 million Ukrainians who fled across the border to their neighbors in Eastern Europe. These are the refugees. They're torn from their homes. They're torn from their communities and separated from the ones they love. The pictures that we see coming out of the Ukraine today are tragic in every sense. It is as if a bomb has covered the whole countryside with such destruction. These people, these 10 million that are displaced from their homes, that are away from their homes now, are exiles. They are families forced to leave the men in the family who stay behind to fight the war against the Russian invaders. This second stanza in David's poem in Psalm 27 gives us a split feeling because the first six verses are so triumphant. They're glorious in their poetry and in the way they call us to God. But beneath all of that certitude, a fear lurks in the depths of David's heart and in the hearts of those who suffer similarly. The prayers of the Ukrainian people and the millions of world citizens who are opposing the Russian invasion through economic sanctions and spiritual warfare, asking God to do whatever God is willing to do to end this maelstrom. In this season of Lent, we are listening to the poets of the book of Psalms, but we are also listening to the artists of our time as we ponder the spiritual resources that give us hope. How, you may, may ask, does poetry speak to our souls in this season of Lent? How can the word artist stir up the spirit of life in us? I've quoted from Mary Oliver, uh, who died, a, I don't know, a year or two ago. And I was reading in her book about poetry itself, the book about poetry that she has written. And she wrote this line about the power of poetry. Poetry is a 
life-cherishing force. For poems are not words, after all, but fires for the cold. Ropes let down to the lost. Something as necessary as bread in the pockets of the hungry. Contra Spem Sparrow is a poem by 19th century Ukrainian poet Lysia Ukrenka. Lysia was one of Ukrainian's literature's foremost writers, best known for her poems and plays. She was also a vocal activist. Her literary legacy is enormous, even though for most of her life she was ill and often bedridden for months. As Ukrenka's poem is read, we will show a series of slides from our mission partners in the Ukraine. Yes, we are, our church have mission partners that live and minister in the Ukraine itself. The first photos you will see are of Pastor Elise Pronent and his team in our partner church in Lviv who work around the clock serving the refugees and all who need help. Their smiling faces reflect better times. Let's hear the poem, Contra Spem Spero, translated out of the Latin into English as, Against All Hope, I Hope. Against All Hope? Away, dark thoughts, you autumn clouds. A golden spring is here. Shall it be thus in sorrow and in lamentation that my youthful years pass away? No, through all my tears I still shall laugh, sing songs despite my troubles. Have hope despite all odds. I want to live away, you sorrowful thoughts. On this poor, indigent ground, I shall sow flowers of flowing colors. I shall sow flowers even amidst the frost and water them with my bitter tears. And from those burning tears will melt the frozen crust so hard and strong. Perhaps the flowers will bloom and bring about for me a joyous spring. Unto a winding flinty mountain shall I bear my weighty stone. Yet, even bearing such a crushing weight, will I sing a joyful song. Throughout a lasting night of darkness, ne'er shall I rest my own eyes always searching for the guiding star, the bright empress of the dark night skies. I shall not allow my heart to fall asleep, though gloom and misery envelop me, despite my certain feelings that death is beating at my breast. Death will settle heavily on that breast, the snow covered by a cruel haze. But fierce shall beat my little heart, and maybe, with its ferocity, overcome death. 
Yes, I will laugh despite my tears. I'll sing songs amidst my misfortunes. I'll have hope against all odds. I will live. Away, you sorrowful thoughts. Away.